This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Joshua Wirth talks about Satan and hell. Does hell really exist? Can we invite the devil into our lives? How can we rid ourselves of the devil? Let's find out. Father Joshua is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. Father Joshua Worth needs a, needs a little introduction to Divine Mercy Radio listeners, but for those who may not know or those listening as they travel down I-70, Father Joshua is the pastor of St. Bernard Parish in Ellsworth and is the Catholic chaplain for the Ellsworth Correctional Facility. Father Joshua was, was instrumental in helping Divine Mercy Radio get off the ground and running. You wrote the mission statement and began the double-edged sword shows and so thank you to Father Joshua for all the work that he's done and all the work you continue to do so Mm -hmm. today we're talking about Satan and hell. In today's secular environment, many people don't think there is a hell. Uh, in fact, that heaven will be, you know, that everyone will be in heaven upon leaving this world. And it's kind of interesting because I think one of Satan's biggest lies are people that think, well, gosh, Satan doesn't even exist, does he? But sure. let's talk about that just a little bit. Yeah. Um, those that don't think there's a hell, they're coming from that from their own conclusions because there's no evidence to point to that. The evidence we do have, scriptures, the saints, they all speak of hell. The scriptures, of course, speak of hell. And the person who spoke the most about hell in the scriptures was Jesus himself. So sometimes we get this idea, oh, Jesus had this very kind ministry, this very loving ministry, which is true. But he, the most we know about hell, it comes from his lips. And, and he tells us about the reality of hell. And then we have saints, mystics who, you know, such as Fatima, Our Lady show the children of Fatima hell. And um, St. Catherine of Siena, she had a vision where God was speaking to her and showed her hell. And so all the evidence we, we have is not that uh, there is no hell or that Jesus doesn't send anybody to hell. Our evidence is that it's very real. Jesus tells us it's very real. And that people go there, and so we need to um, prepare ourselves. So, you know, this talk might scare the hell out of people, and I hope, hopefully it does, scares people out of hell so that we don't end up in hell um, because, as Jesus tells us, it's a very real place. Uh, one of the things that, um, and it seems like at least, I don't know, I, I hear this from some people that we don't, the talk about hell, maybe from from the ambo by the priests, a lot of times for some right. priests, not all priests, but uh, maybe we're not hearing that message like we used to hear that message. Right. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, I was listening to um, Scott Hahn. He has a great talk on on hell, of course, and and um, his comes from mostly from scripture. And there's a, I don't know what theologian was, but there's a popular theologian that has said, "Dare we hope." Dare we hope that there is no hell? And I know there was, that was a Catholic theologian. I know there was a Protestant minister. He wrote a book called Love Wins or something like that, which basically said at the end, everybody's going to be in heaven. And so, um, you know, Scott Hahn says, you know, dare we hope that no one is in hell? And some bishops and some some priests have have gone with that, that uh, theory. Um, but Scott Hahn says, you know, no, that's too much to dare. That's too much to dare because you're daring with your immortal soul. And so, no, you can't take that dare that everybody's going to 
that hell's going to be empty and everybody's going to be in heaven. That is too, and that goes flies in the face of the words of Christ because how often do we realize when Jesus said to Judas, you know, it's better that whoever betrays the Son of Man, better that he never be born. Well, if you were only in hell for a while or you go through a really tough purgatory and you end up in heaven, then everything is is worth it. But to say this, uh, this for Jesus to say it's better this person never be born means that their eternity, it's it's true. We don't want to we don't call Jesus a liar. That it'd be better that if he was never born, he who betrays the Son of Man. So um, we hear about it less and less because it's it's very difficult for our modern minds to think. Well, God is a loving God. And there is terrible people in the world that probably deserve hell, but I'm not one of them. I'm not a Judas. I'm not a Hitler. So therefore, God, how could he be just and put me in the same place that Judas and Hitler are, or possibly? It's a game we like to play. If if we think Judas and Hitler aren't in heaven well, or aren't in hell, then we're definitely not going there. If we think that they are in hell... Well, does it really f- seem fair, we think, in our modern idea of justice? Does it really seem fair that I would be in the same place as those mass, you know, those mass, uh, the terrible sinners, mass murderers in case Hitler and Stalin? No, we say, no, that doesn't seem fair. So therefore, I exempt myself from such a punishment because I'm not as bad as, as them. But that's not how God sees it. So let's talk a little bit about, well, obviously, the topic Satan and hell. Father Joshua Wirth, our guest. Let's talk about how hell came into existence. Hell was created at the beginning for some place for those unrepentant souls or spirits to go to. So the devil was the first one. Lucifer refused to serve God. So him being a spirit, where is he going to go if he doesn't want to serve in heaven. And as soon as that sin entered into his heart and he's attached to it, he can no longer, uh, sin can't be in heaven. So he's got to go somewhere. And so God created hell actually as a loving thing. He's either got to go into non-existence, which God can't destroy something that he created. All right. That we, we think of like false, our false compassion says, oh, it's a mercy killing, you know, type of thing. But God doesn't, that's false compassion. God has real compassion, says, I'm not going to destroy anything I created. I'm going to let them live out their free will, their free choice. That's the actual love. And so I got to create a place for them to exist. And so Jesus tells us he saw when that sin entered into his heart, he felt devil fell like lightning from the sky. And lightning doesn't fall like a leaf, you know, it falls instantly down. And so Instantly, as soon as that sin entered into his heart, he had to go someplace outside of heaven because sin can't exist in heaven. And so he created hell for him to go to and to exist out of love, actually. He lo- loved him, didn't want him to see be non-existent, therefore created a place. So also, unrepentant sinners, if they die, unrepentant with a mortal sin, God doesn't want them to go into non-existence. So he's got to create a place for them outside of purgatory outside of heaven that they could go to and still exist and so hell is for those unrepentant sinners and it's actually created as an act of love by god for us things what are some of the things father that we know are true about hell well we know that hell exists we know that hell is a place that can hold our body our resurrected body Um, we just heard this reading a couple weeks ago that 
even in Daniel, the book of Daniel is saying that some will be resurrected to be an everlasting horror and disgrace. So it can hold our body, but it's not to say that it's a physical place like somewhere out in a galaxy, a probe might accidentally run across hell or something like that. So, and it's not exactly in a, another dimension. It's, it's some other state of being where our physical body can exist because our resurrected body will, will go there. So it exists, it is some place that it can hold our, our body and uh, it's eternal, it's eternal. It's not just a bad version of, even worse version of purgatory. So you're not gonna be, there's not gonna ever be a time where hell doesn't exist. There's never gonna be a time where people are freed from hell. It's gonna be eternal. And so our decisions all have eternal weight on them in this life. We can't just say, oh, I'll figure it out when I get to the judgment, if I'm really sorry for these sins or not, or when I get to the judgment and I ask God if I did anything wrong, I'll say I'm sorry then. No, if, if we die unrepentant with unrepentant mortal sin, then our own sins will convict us when we, when we face Christ. You know, sometimes we, sometimes even in this life, there's things I have a really hard time doing, you know, maybe if, if you, to save your life, you know, you need to get up 5.30 and go, and go do exercises, let's say, or else you're going to have a heart attack. And even though it's to save your life, you just have this natural resistance. I just can't get myself to do it. I just can't get myself to do it. That's the way it's going to be spiritually. When we, the judgment, if we have an unrepentant sin and we face a Lord, we're going to be unable, just naturally unable to say that we're sorry for those because that's the way we prepared our whole life is to say we're not sorry for that sin. We justified it. We rationalized it. We came up with excuses. We tried to fool ourselves. Maybe we even did fool ourselves. Say, oh, it's not that important. Or God's not going to send me to hell for that. But then when we get, we face the Lord, we can fool ourselves, but we can't face God. We face the Lord. That sin is going to convict us. And we're just unable to, to say to the Lord, yes, I'm sorry for this sin. I want to go to purgatory and be cleansed of it. We're just going to say, no, I, I'm still not sorry. I just naturally just can't say I'm sorry for it. I'm still not sorry. And I don't want to go to heaven because I don't want to be, go through the pain of, of purifying this. And I don't want to be in heaven. I avoided all that virtue all my life. And so is there another place I can go to? So we also choose hell. We choose hell by the unrepentant sins that we we commit in this life, the mortal sins that we commit that we are unrepentant for when we die, we choose hell because we're just physically, naturally, spiritually unable to um, move towards purgatory and heaven at that judgment. We're talking about Satan and hell this afternoon with Father Joshua Worth. Does the devil rule hell and, and is he in charge of people's torment? How would you... He doesn't rule hell. He, I mean, he wants to think he rules hell, that it's his own kingdom. He rules it in the sense that he tempts people that, and they end up there. So if you, if you say you have a business and you, and you are able to entice customers to that business, and then you can say, well, these are my customers, but you don't really control your customers, right? Same way, he entices people and they end up in hell, and so he can kind of say, you're my victims, but he doesn't really in control of them. And then, is he in charge of people's torment? No, and God is in charge of, isn't in charge of the torment either. Our torment comes from ourselves. Uh, St. Catherine of Siena saw these, had a vision of God, and God spoke to her and explained to her 
what was going on to those in hell. And God said to her that we are tormented in four ways. First is that they see themselves deprived the division of me, which is God, which is such pain to them that they, if it were possible, they would rather choose the fire and the tortures and torments and to see me than to be without the torments and not to see me. So I don't know if you've ever been in a place where there just, was just no grace. I've been in situations where I just felt no grace, just in the houses of unrepentant sinners, and there was just no grace there. And there was just no vision of God there. But I knew that God was still controlling the world, and, and he was living in me. So, so you take that times a million, that there's no possibility. God is not there, and there's no possibility, and there's no grace. There's this, that's the first torment. The second, the worm of conscience, which gnaws unceasingly, seeing that the soul is deprived of me and of the... So the conscience that that unrepentant sin just eats at is eat at like why did we do that why did we do that but I'm not I still am not sorry for it I'm still not sorry for it why did I do that I'm still not sorry for it so the more of those that we have the worse that this the sins are or, you know the worse that the pain is the third pain is to see the devil the vision of the devil is a third pain and redoubles to them to their every toil so seeing the devil and is a torment because he's so miserable. And then for somebody in hell is to know that they they reflect not Christ, like we're supposed to reflect. The more that they died with, the more sins they died with, the more they look like the devil, the more they see themselves in the devil. And so the worst that the torment is seeing the de- you in the devil and the devil in you. Uh, you know, if it was just one mortal sin, it wouldn't be that as much. It'd still be painful, but but so for Judas and Hitler and Stalin, you know, if they're in hell, they see more and more and more of themselves in the devil, more of the devil in them, and it's more painful for them because of all the sins that correspond to the vision. And then the fourth torment is that they have is the fire. The fire burns as they consume because they're spiritual beings. But I, by divine justice, have permitted the fire to burn them with, with torments, so that it torments them without consuming them, the greatest pains in diverse ways, according to the diversity of their sins, to some more and to some less, according to the gravity of their fault. So again, uh, we talk about levels sometimes. Dante, in his Dante's Inferno, talked about the different levels, and that's an artistic way of understanding it. But the levels that St. Catherine Siena talks about, she talks about, Yes, the more unrepentant mortal sins you died with, that's more pain you're going to suffer for eternity. And so, so there is such a thing as, as a deeper level of, of torment in, in hell. So I, I say, you know, we kind of we run into a, um, a philosophy in our life. It's like, well, I can commit this sin because I already committed another sin and God can't send me to hell twice. And um, that might be something we we try to fool ourselves with, but God will not be fooled by it because we, by divine justice, will suffer double for every sin, suffer more because we're more, we look more like the devil and that fire has more things to burn, that divine justice has more things to burn because it's burning that those sins that we died unrepentant with. So, Father, some religions teach that no one can go to hell, uh, that no one goes to hell until the last judgment, that people are actually sleeping in their graves. Can you explain why this teaching is false? Well, it was true kind of up to a point. You know, Jesus talked about the one story where 
somebody was in Abraham's bosom. So he wasn't in he wasn't in heaven, but it was like he was close to Abraham, awaiting. Uh, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, so that Jesus could go down to the dead or to the or to hell, as we say in the creed. Um, and so, hell at that point was not not eternal. It was kind of a abode of the dead, a sleeping of the dead. For those that were awaiting the Savior, it was with Abraham. It was the bosom of Abraham. But then that stopped at, at the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So now, imme- our soul immediately goes to you know purgatory heaven or it goes to hell and then our bodies join it are going to join at, at the resurrection and so there I think there was even a pope one time who speculated not infallibly not from the ex cathedra from the chair but he said oh I think everybody just waits for the final final judgment I don't think they're in heaven now I don't think they're in hell now and he was condemned later by that statement, which was his own opinion, was condemned as not correct. Um, that we know from Jesus, we know from the saints, we know from the teachings of the church, that when we die, we immediately face our Lord, and then we immediately go to purgatory, or if we're really good, we go straight to heaven, uh, such like an innocent baby that was unable to sin, or if we have that unrepentant mortal sin, then we immediately go to hell and then our body joins us later at the resurrection. So it's nice to our modern minds again to think, oh, we're just alone in this, but we are, we got saints in heaven, we got souls in purgatory we need to pray for, and there's a damned in hell that can be bad examples for us in this life and also demons can impersonate them and so we need to be aware of those so that we're not fooled and because the more we know about about it then the then the better chance we have of following god's law and his teachings we're talking on satan and hell with father joshua worth what makes hell such an awful place i mean we we hear about hell we hear kind of hear can hear it described but how what makes it such an awful place I think the worst, this is just my speculation, but because we've already talked about the saints, but I think the worst part is the the knowing that you chose it and you had a chance to get, and just forever the regret, the, the regret and the loss. I think one of the most wonderful things for us that are living and the most painful things for those in hell and for the devil is when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And so when you knew what you were doing was wrong and you did it anyway and and you're in hell and there's never going to be that forgiveness, just like the devil knew exactly what he was doing and that's why he ended up in hell, there's not going to be any surprises. You're not going to – it's not a mortal sin if you didn't know it was wrong. And so Some people want to say, well, then leave me in ignorance. But then we don't know the joys of Christ. So we want to know the joys of Christ in this world and in the next and not keep ourselves in ignorance, know our commandments, know the Beatitudes, know the corporal spiritual works of mercy, know the teachings of the church, so that we're, there's not going to be any surprises at the judgment. We're going to, it's, I think the most awful part about hell is that you know you belong there. You, in fact, have put yourself there. You, in fact, have chosen hell. C.S. Lewis says, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. We chose it. And always kind of kicking yourself, always always regretting, always feeling that loss of God's presence. 
and the regret, just that terrible, terrible, dreadful, I mean, we can imagine regret we have here in this world where we can make amends for it. Imagine the, the regret where you can't make amends, where you knew what you're doing is wrong and Jesus does not forgive you because you knew what you're doing is wrong and you were not repentant about it. Well, one question that sometimes uh, we get, we hear this asked, why does God allow Satan to run wild in the world and tempting, tempting souls? Because um, out of love, again, because he loves the free will that he gave to the devil or he gave to Lucifer, he gave to the angels to serve him or not to serve him. And so he's not going to take away that free will because of their decision, just like he doesn't take away our free will out of love when we make a bad decision. You know, I heard some Jewish rabbi say, God could have stopped one of these mass shooters, could have had him hit by a bus before he went to that shooting. So therefore, you know, God made a mistake or something. And I, it was just so terrible to, to understand that. Because what he's saying is, I wish God would, would kill people before they hurt people, before they sinned. Well, according to God's justice, would any of us be around? None of us would be allowed to make a mistake or, or, do, or be repentant, sorry for our sins, because we'd be instantly dead the first time we even thought about committing a sin. No, God loves our free will, and he, allow, and he allows that to happen. He's not going to take it away just because we're going to abuse it. And so he's not going to take away the free will of, of the devil just because he abuses it either because he loves that gift of, of free will and he can't destroy anything that, that he loves and he loves that gift of free will as well. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio, whether you're listening via radio, computer, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, please know. We'll be right back with more about Satan and Hell with Father Joshua Word. on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Satan and Hell. With Father Joshua Worth. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Talking on Satan and how with Father Joshua Worth, and you know this is a, a topic that again so many times I think people are um, maybe under the misguided assumption that that well gosh Satan really doesn't exist. That mm-hmm. he's really not he's really not uh, in our world, and, and obviously Satan is who is the father of lies certainly sees that as just one less thing he's got to worry about mm-hmm. because people don't believe he exists. But when we die, we'll see our souls for what they truly are. Let's talk about that a little bit, if you would. We see them as truly are, you know, God will take our reasons, but he's not going to take our excuses. And we make a lot of excuses for ourselves. We say everybody else is doing it. We say, uh, well, it's not as bad as what the other person is doing. And we say, but God, we can fool ourselves, but we can't fool God. God's going to know if 
when we drove by the church when confessions were being heard and we just said, nah, I got something else I got to do. But really, we knew that we didn't have anything else to do. We knew that that was the most important thing is to stop in your confession. God's going to know those opportunities. He's not going to hold us to things that were impossible for us. He's not going to, you know, if there was no priest available, he's not going to hold us to, to those opportunities when there was no priest. But when we knew their confessions were going on at church, if we got there early, but we made up excuse why we couldn't get there early. He's going to take the reasons, but he's not going to take the excuses. So we're going to we're going to and we're going to see that for as it is when we're at the judgment. Well, we're, I'm just kind of taking a look at some things. Let's let's talk about um, how we can actually invite Satan into our lives, because people I think, again, people have the misconception that that's not possible. But there right. are certainly ways that that can happen. I mean, there's the there's explicit way where you have Satanists and witchcraft and people like that that are actually how to, I tried to explain this to somebody the other day. They said, is it true that priests can become Satanists? And I said, yeah, because they're just like anybody else. There's things that they want that God has said is sinful. And and God's not going to give it to them. So they're going to they're gonna worship a power that is going to allow them to do it, let them, allow them to have those things. And we, we do that with, we don't, it doesn't have to be explicitly be Satan. And Fulton Sheen put it this way. He said, your theology is going to match your morality. A lot of people think, oh, I have a bad theology, therefore I have a bad morality. No. There's something you want that God has said no to, a bad morality, and then you come up with a come up with a theory, a theology, to justify that bad morality. For instance, the idea of birth control. Well, how can birth control be evil? How can it be bad? How can God send anybody to hell for for birth control. So we get this theory in our head, like God is like a teacher. And what if a teacher failed their whole class? Well, we would say, it's not the kid's fault that nobody passed that that class. It must be the teacher's fault. So the teacher has to let all these kids go because the whole class failed. But God doesn't have anything. He doesn't ask anybody, what should I do in this situation? He has no counselor. And, he's, and from his point of view, he's saying every class for... 20 generations has passed, and this is the class that has failed. Why have they failed? But I gave them all the same test. I gave them all the same gifts, sexual gifts, reproductive gifts, and this is the class that failed. So why should they be admitted into my glory when they didn't agree with it? So we get this idea that that we have to be a devil worshiper in order to lose our soul. No. We lose our soul whenever we put ourselves in a place of God, like the devil did. Like Adam and Eve were told, you will be like God's. You will know the difference between good and evil. Basically, tempting them, you can decide what is good and evil. And hey, if God said it's evil, but you say it's okay, then you're going to get your own kingdom. So that's the temptation the devil always puts in front of us. And he can do that with through ordinary ways, just our regular temptations. We just get this thought. Like, yeah, God can't fail everybody, can he? You can't send everybody to hell that practices birth control. That's not going to be very just, very fair. And from God's point of view, why is this the class that fails this this subject, right? And when everybody else passed it. And so that's the devil just uh, tempting us. Or there can be extraordinary temptations um, where he actually has some vision and says, worship me and I'll give you power and I'll give you strength and stuff like that. I was just looking at something as we're talking here because um, as we talk about inviting Satan into our lives, 
one of the things that was really popular, and I think is still out, is, is still out there, was the Ouija board. Oh yeah. Um, a lot of people. In fact, I can remember as a kid. I know we had one, not realizing. Oh, really? I think at the time, uh, there's even an all uh, an episode of the Waltons. We go back to the Waltons, really? that wholesome Christian Baptist family, um, where the kids were messing with the Ouija board, and the mm-hmm. mom, mom, mom Walton says, "Hey, let's be done with that." But anyway, Hasbro, a toy company, yeah. apparently makes this. I was just googling oh, this yeah. right now. Let's talk a little bit about because again, some people think, "Oh, this is just harmless, um, yeah. you know, harmless like fun game. that we're having." Yeah, it's sold as a game. Um, yeah, it's Ouija board is uh, people that don't know is a board. It's got letters and and numbers on it, and a yes or no on there, and you're and then you're supposed to take a little pointer and put hands on it and ask spirits to move your hands to answer these questions that you have, and and um, it's a tool of of occultists and witchcraft and Satanists for generation and generations somehow became kid friendly. I noticed I, I, it was sold here in the Hastings and Hayes and I, and I know it was sold in Toys R Us and and I always and they would even have pink versions for girls because they really want to get girls in there. Wow. And uh, but I just I want to point out I, mean, I don't know if this is correspondence or correlation or causation but both Hastings and Toys R Us went bankrupt so mm. you know when you invite <laughs> that stuff in don't think you're going to get God's blessings uh, so that's something that's really really dangerous very common because it's it's sold as a toy to just be fun with but it's an instrument used to connect with uh, spirits or dead and and the devil and the demons can impersonate the dead people and try to communicate and try to build a relationship see they want they don't want to scare you they're not going to present you with something scary you know talking about the lies of the devil he doesn't want to be known uh he doesn't want to ever scare you into praying right so he just shows up when he's gross and he's ugly and he's mean looking you're going to start saying our father you're going to start saying a hail mary well he doesn't want you to do that so he's going to present himself to something uh maybe a loved one maybe you know uh some kind of nice character so that uh so that you'll start asking questions what is afterlife like what what is where'd you hide the money you know all these things and it's building relationship building relationship so that he can start asking you to do more and more yeah you don't need to go to church yeah you don't need to do this in fact why don't you take your bible and throw it out why don't you do this why don't you get rid of your crucifix why don't you and start doing things to destroy your relationship with god and start building a relationship with him even though it's under he doesn't need the credit a lot of times we think oh the devil is so prideful that he needs to be recognized as who you're worshiping no he doesn't want the credit he wants the chaos as long as he can get you away from god and again, become one of his customers, then he sees it as I, I got I stole another one away from you, and he sees it as a as a bragging right to God, which God can't be hurt, but the devil can hurt people that God loves, which is mm. which is us. And there's a meme going around. Apparently, somebody put a Ouija board as the floor of their house, like a giant Ouija board as like the floor panels, and so it says on there says on her. Sounds like a good idea until your Roomba accidentally summons a devil, you know. So uh, why people do that, I have no idea. But uh, it's very, very dangerous. Yeah, But it is for ages eight and up. So I didn't want to throw that in there. Yeah, Yeah, I know. And uh, thankfully the movies I think were made by Hasbro, some Ouija board movies. But um, they didn't make – from 
I haven't actually seen it, but the kids that I've talked to that have seen it, I said, well, did it make you want to go out and buy a Ouija board? And they said, oh, heck no. So that's the only thing I could uh, say good out of the, the Ouija board movies. So. Wow. I guess I didn't even realize there were yeah. such. Wow. Yeah. Pretty crazy stuff. Can Satan really take possession of one's body? We see stories and we see the movies and the you know the head spinning in the all of that stuff. So talk right. about that just a little bit. Uh, I actually heard a good story about this at an exorcism conference. Um, I don't know if I've, I don't think I've told this one either, but in the Fatima vision, they were shown these demons and they were very animalistic and very, and apparently the lower level angels, when they fell, they became more animalistic and beast-like and the howling and the, and the grunting and the seething so you'll see that mostly in possession cases full possession cases but i heard the story of and a trick of the exorcist is that they'll because it never one demon it's always a group of demons and they put the lower level ones in the way to block so the exorcist wastes his time uh casting out to i guess there's a trick i haven't had to do this thanks thanks be to god and hopefully it never happened in our diocese but the actions have said about a full possession that that they'll just ask for the highest one that who's in charge of all the other demons in that body so it's true they'll have a they'll, they'll be super strong they'll be able to levitate they'll be able to speak and understand languages that they don't know um, they'll be able to they can have remote viewing see things which actually the demon is seeing things but making the person think they're seeing things on through walls or other sides of the world things of that nature. Um, but one time they asked for the highest one and they said, we can't, he's not here. The de- It was the devil himself that made a deal with this, this person. And they said, well, then we want to speak to the devil. And they almost, it was almost like they put, put the extras on hold. Okay, just hold on a second. And then the devil showed up in this possessed person, very businesslike. Very intelligent. He's not bestial or anything like the like the lower ones. Very intelligent, and he goes, "Okay, I'm, I'm my time's precious. What do you need to know?" And they're like, "By what right are you here?" And it's almost like he pulled out a file and was like, "On this and such a date, she made a she made a, a pact with me that I would get let her see her uh, loved one if uh, if she sold her soul to me." And he's like, "Okay, can I go now?" And and it's like he had something else to do on the other side of the world, you know. Mm. And so very business-like, very intelligent, not grunting, not like she was earlier with the when the other demons were in charge. But um, so the devil can, the devil himself, somebody can be possessed by the devil himself. But it's actually not as as grotesque of a possession as somebody that is by the lower demons because he's very intelligent, very businesslike, very, mm. very uh, uh, suave almost in his in his presentation and probably his temptation as well. And the reason behind that is is God, occult means hidden knowledge. So when somebody's getting into the occult, it's like they want knowledge that, not, that is hidden. But God doesn't have any hidden knowledge. The, the, the Christ is exposed for the whole world to see on the cross. And he's told us everything he, we need to know. He's told us that in my father's house, there's many ma- mansions. He's also told us that that the 
way to destruction is broad and wide and the path of life is narrow and few are those who find it. And he's told us everything about heaven and hell that we need to know. So there's no hidden knowledge that we need to learn that we can't learn from the catechism or from the saints or from scriptures. We don't need to ask dead relatives or demons or anybody, other powers. And we need to um, understand that, um, that God has given us uh, a choice and we need to choose wisely. We can't just say, oh, it's easy to get into heaven when Jesus told us the exact opposite. It's funny, uh, you were talking, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, priests and theologians and even bishops. They seem to make it sound like it's as hard to get into hell as Jesus said as it's hard to get into heaven. They've totally flipped it around. Like it's easy to slide into heaven when Jesus says the opposite, that it's hard to slide into hell. You'd have to be a really terrible, terrible sinner in order to be there when, when Jesus says the exact opposite. So that's a warning we need to put out there to people that... We really need to know our faith. We really need to know our catechism. We really need to know our scriptures so that we're not tempted by, by the devil when he'll say, oh, don't you know about this hidden secret about heaven that if you just do this thing, then you know, if you just throw away your crucifix, if you just leave the Catholic Church, if you just do this to the Eucharist or you know, these superstitions, I'm sorry, but these superstitions like if you take a St. Joseph's statue and bury it upside down in your yard, then you're going to sell your house. That's voodoo. That is not your, our Catholic faith. All right. The catechism does not promote that. No bishop promotes it, or hopefully it doesn't. And certainly our bishop doesn't promote it. And the Pope doesn't promote it. And who would want to promote something like that? That make you think that the faith is just something where you disfigure our precious statue of St. Joseph in order to get something that you want. The devil wants us to think that. So, and then the next thing he'll be asking you to do is throw away your crucifix or throw away your rosary or do something else in, in order to get what you want. And that's absolutely not how our, our faith works, that superstition. And we should, we should cut that out of our lives if we have it. Interesting you talk about that with St. Joseph because I've heard that whole thing and I, it's always been something that felt like it was just voodoo, yeah, like you said to me. But there are actually some Catholic bookstores that sell I know. that uh, sell Joseph to use for selling your home. I know. I, I yell at them. I yell at them when I see them. you should. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it is frustrating because, um, yeah, that's it's not approved by anybody. It's not approved by anybody in the church. If you can show me a saint that has done that, then maybe we can talk. But there's no saint that's done that either, mm. all right? That's the same thing with... Uh, Oh, I know some some nuns and stuff that can that teach yoga or reiki or something like that. Show me a saint that has done yoga. Show me a, a saint that has done reiki, and then we can talk. But you're telling me none of the saints that we know are in heaven use that stuff. But you're telling me I can use it and still get to heaven. Why even bother? Mm. Why even bother with that? Wow. It's just a it's just a misdirection. It's just a sleight of hand that the devil, an ordinary way, the devil just tries to get us to throw away our faith and, and pick up some other trust and some other hidden knowledge secret or yeah. trick that we can do to well, get what we want. I'm glad you talked about that because I do know there are a lot of Catholics that feel like there's nothing wrong with that, that that's, well, it's St. Joseph, so it's okay. Right. And that's... But look that's, what you're doing to him. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing it's if, always, if the devotion was put, put him on your mantle, even though you might be showing your house to people that might be anti-Catholic or something, you might... You know, lessen your chances. That that would be a. I trust Saint you, Saint Joseph, that you're going to be in charge of uh, selling our house. 
that's that'd be something else. But to put him, bury him upside down is a way to disfigure him, which is just what the devil wants you to get, wants you to do. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, very interesting. What can we do to dispel Satan and get him to leave us, to flee and leave us alone? I mean, we deal with, um, there's times that we, you know, again, we don't really always think about that, but how do we avoid that? It's actually really easy, really boring, but really easy. I mean, everybody thinks, oh, I got to go see an exodus. I got to get this special prayer. I got to get this special medallion. I got to go see uh, this special apparition site or something to really get the devil out of my life. But it's when people come to me, I, I say, are you going to church? No. Are you praying? No. Are you going to confession? They're saying no. I said, but they're like, I would still like to do this sinful thing I'm doing, but just not have the devil attack me for it. <laughs> All right? And it's like, I can't. I, I can't make a way for you to sin safely. All right? That's what the world is always trying to do, like with safe sex or something. It's like, here's a safe way to sin without the repercussions of, of that sin. All right? And, and we're always trying to do that physically, but there's especially not a way to do it spiritually, all right? Once you put yourself in, so you got to stay in a state of grace. So people come to me, I say, I say the most powerful thing, more powerful than any exorcism is confession and Eucharist, but continual. So I say, I say, go to Mass every week, pray to Rosary every day, and, and go to confession once a month. Do that for three months and then come back to me and, and tell me how things are going. And 90% of the time that takes care of it because... They're, they've been in a state of mortal sin, they've been in uh, no grace, and now they're in, in a state of sanctifying grace and following God's law and following his commandments and talking to him and talking to his mother, talking to Mary. And um, so, so Marian devotions are very powerful as well. You know, St. Michael, but just prayer every day, mass every week, more times if you can, and then confession at least once a month where at least once a year, because that's what we're ordered as as Catholics to do. But more frequent, you know, I try to go once a month so that um, things don't build up into mortal sins. So if you miss the rosary a couple of times, you can say, well, I can either go to confession, confess that venial sin of not saying the rosary since you're not commanded to say it. But that venial sin of that I haven't been praying every day, uh, and that doesn't become a mortal sin that I haven't prayed in six months, right? So doing all that and just living the faith, you know, I'll talk about Father Gale since he was talking about me, but <laughs> he had a great thing in the uh, in the paper where somebody asked him, what's the way to promote vocations? And, and he said, just live your faith. He said, it's just the most supportive thing for a priest and seminarians is when I go to a house and I don't got to worry about that, that I'm going to say, oh, yeah, I... I gave a homily on pro-life, or I gave a homily on uh, waiting for marriage or something like that. And they said, well, you know, Father, we disagree with the church. You know, uh, then this then this Paul just comes down in the conversation where it's like, okay, I got to go into teaching mode. I got to go into preaching mm-hmm. mode. Mm-hmm. It's like I can't be one with this family because there's this. Now, you can struggle with the teachings of the church if they come to me and they say, well, it's funny you mentioned that, Father, because we've been struggling with this teaching of the church. Can you help us? Well, that's one thing. But when they give me this full stop disagreement, Agreement. Like, this doesn't apply to us, Father, because because we have this situation. Well, everybody has this situation. You know, everybody has what they think an exception from the rule. But do we know our faith enough? To, is that an actual exception, or did we just create that exception? Okay. And and it's funny, though. People find exception, a real exception. You know, for instance, uh, I remember when Pope Benedict said, you know, if a 
HIV positive male prostitute would use a condom, that'd be a first step in in the path of morality. Start caring for himself and start caring for other people. Oh, okay. So we're allowed to use condom now. You know, that's what that was what everybody was saying. It's like, wait, no, are you a HIV positive uh, male prostitute? He said, no, that's where you. <laughs> that's the exception. But we expand that exception to wherever we're at. We're we fill it in. You know, or. There's ex- there's a um, you know exception for people separating not divorce but separating if there's physical violence. Well, people say, "Well, I'm not physically abused, but I'm emotionally abused, or I'm verbally abused, or I'm." And so they take that exception and then they start expanding it to fit their situation. So just living your faith doesn't mean you're not going to struggle with your faith, but when you're not fighting against what God is trying to give you to save your soul. When you're not fighting against that, when you're struggling to understand it and you're struggling to live it out, God loves that struggle. He loves that struggle and he's going to give you strength in that struggle. But when you're fighting him and you're saying no to him, then that's the most dangerous place because that's what the devil did. said, I get an exception. I get exception to, to serving your kingdom because I don't agree with it. Not There was probably angels that said, I struggle with this, Lord, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I thank God I did because I, because I made the right choice. But when we put that full stop up, that's the most dangerous thing, and that's um, where we really invite the devil in, even though we didn't name him, but we're mm-hmm. doing exactly what he did. Sure. Well, it's been a fascinating hour and a fast hour, Father. Thank you always, always for coming in. Always great to talk to you, and and we appreciate you taking time to share with us today. Yes, appreciate you, and say hi to everybody in uh, Kansas City. And, I will, and yes. all my friends up there, and Father Andrew Strobel especially, and. Archbishop Nauman up there as well. Such sure. a great, such a great Archbishop. And, yeah. And uh, pray for us down here. Thank you for listening to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, computer, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the double-edged sword icon. The comment button is in the middle of the page. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsborg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.